Support for Industry Focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. You're confident when it comes to your work and life? Rocket Mortgage gives you that same confidence when it comes to refinancing your existing mortgage or buying a home. It lets you understand all the details so you can be confident that you're getting the right mortgage for you. Go to rocketmortgage.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is June 28th, and this is the healthcare edition of the show. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and I have healthcare specialist Todd Campbell on the line. Welcome to the show, Todd. Happy Wednesday, Christine. Happy Wednesday to you, too. How's your week going? You know, end of quarter is always really busy for me. And um, wouldn't you know, we have all of this fantastic news that, you know, I've been diving into over the course of the last few days, listening to conference calls and tracking the news flow like a, like a boss. You are a boss. Love it. Yeah, there's been a lot of of things going on out there in the world at large and also in the healthcare world. So today we are going to touch on what we thought was uh, some some more important points from what happened in the past week or so. The first thing that we are going to talk about today is maybe a little bit self-congratulatory. It's it's maybe a bit of a victory lap. But if you've been listening to this show for a while, you have heard us talk about Portola Pharmaceuticals. And Portola finally had some really good news after a long period of time of watching this stock and at times being kind of disappointed by it. They finally got their first drug approved by the FDA on Friday, and the stock experienced a 45% pop. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that Portola is a fan favorite of Christine and I. Uh, we've talked about it in the past, and, and I know a lot of listeners have had a lot of questions over the last couple of days, and those questions have stemmed by the FDA approval of their first commercial drug, a drug named Bevexa. Yes, and I still want to be calling it by its old name, so excuse me if I do call it Batrixaban, but it now has a official market name, which is Bevexa. And this is a pretty big deal. This is the company's first FDA-approved drug. It looks like it has the potential to be a blockbuster, meaning $1 billion in sales or more. And I've seen some estimates that count up to $3 billion annually. So definitely something that we'll be watching over the next couple of quarters to see how it ramps up. But Todd, do you want to talk a little bit about what makes this drug so exciting? Well, I think why we were interested in this company to begin with. I mean, they, were, they're, they have two drugs. We'll get to the second drug in a minute. But one of the reasons that I know I was interested in this company was because the drug that they were working on was targeting the same mechanism of action that has already been proven to be effective by Johnson & Johnson, Bristol-Myers, and Pfizer. Uh, basically, what we're talking about is a new anticoagulant, and it belongs to a class of drugs called Factor 10A or XA uh, drugs. And what they do is they they help prevent blood clots in patients um, who maybe have undergone surgery, like knee surgery, hip surgery, or suffer from atrial fibrillation. Um, and now with this approval, uh, Bevexa at least, not the other ones, um, can be used in uh, the treatment of acute medically ill patients who've been discharged from the hospital. And that's a very, very large and important market. We'll explain that in a second. But I think that the the big takeaway to to kind of frame the whole conversation is factor 10A drugs, there's some already on the market. They rack up billions of dollars a year in sales. Now we've got a new drug coming out of Portola that's launching into another new indication. And it, too, could end up being uh, an important, we'll call it a blockbuster drug. 
One point that I really want to emphasize is that this is a new indication. When you look at the 10A inhibitors that are already approved, they're not approved for patients that have already been released from hospitals. And so now this is the first time that you have an oral 10A inhibitor that is approved for preventative use in these patients. And so what it's looking to do here is displace a drug called Levinox, which was at one point a $3 billion plus annual sales drug. And this was something that was taken uh, and it was it wasn't the best drug. It's an injection. It comes with the risk of hemorrhage. And so when you look at the clinical trial results, Bavixa was tested against Levinox, and it reduced clotting better, and it also didn't have the added risk of bleeding events. This is in an enormous phase three trial of 7,500 patients. And so it really does have the opportunity here to displace this longstanding drug that's been on the market for quite a while, and it makes a lot of money. Yeah, last year, Christine, we were a little nervous that maybe uh, maybe the FDA wouldn't give a green light to this drug following the trial results, only because the trial results were really, you know, mixed. You know, you had these multiple cohorts, and it and it had a, a statistical significance in the, across the entire group of patients, but in one subset of patients, it didn't, and people were worried that because it didn't in that one subset, maybe the FDA would frown on on the entirety of the data. Obviously, that wasn't the case. It's been approved, and that's great news for doctors and patients because, as you said, Lovenix is not a fantastic drug. You know, it is a standard of care still, right? And that's why in the trial, uh, Portola um, went head-to-head up against it. And I think now what we're going to see, time will tell, right? I mean, this, this drug will get launched somewhere between August and November, according to management. I think what we'll see is that doctors will relatively quickly start transitioning patients over to this. Because if you think about it, Christine, these are very sick patients, right? They've had stroke or heart attack, something pretty drastic that has landed them in the hospital. And they're older patients, so they're a little bit frail. And when they're being released from the hospital, a lot of times you've got mobility concerns. You know, they're gonna be in the bed for a while, which of course increases the risk of blood clots. You know, Portola said when they announced, you know, the fan to fanfare that they won the approval, that there are 24 million people in the G7 countries who get admitted um, uh, to hospitals with conditions, and that one million of those people, when they're released from the hospitals, end up returning because they have a blood clotting event that theoretically could get uh, prevented by the use of this newly approved drug. So this is a massive indication. The US is just the start. I would imagine we'll see um, the potential to roll this out in other countries like Europe and Japan. On the conference call last week, the question was, are you still gonna go it alone in marketing this drug? Management says in the US, absolutely. Their plan is to commercialize it themselves. They're hiring their own sales team to do that. They'll be rolling those out. Overseas, the door seemed to be left a little bit open to maybe talking to, you know, one one of the other players out there uh, about licensing. Right. And when you talk about adoption and whether doctors will immediately flock towards this new drug as opposed to Lovenox, that kind of brings us to the other side of the Portola story. So one potential a hurdle that these 10A inhibitors have to overcome is the fact that there is no currently approved antidote. 
And when you think about a blood thinner, you also have to keep in mind that sometimes patients that are on blood thinners will have unexpected major bleeding events or they'll need an emergency surgery. And in that case, in those situations, you need to have an antidote on hand to stop the effects of the blood thinner. Um, right, so warfarin was for 50 years like the leading anticoagulant. It still has like 40% market share in the indication. And that's easily reversed by giving vitamin K. I mean, it's one of the reasons that warfarin's actually, you know, losing market share is because it has, you know, it, drug, it, it interacts with vitamin K and it causes people to have severe dietary restrictions. So, you know, Warfarin has this antidote, and that's one of the reasons it's been so widely used, right? And it's still widely used in a lot of elderly patients uh, who could be subject to, say, like a fall or something that would cause a bleeding event. So the thinking here is if you can get an antidote approved by the FDA that would reverse these factor 10As, uh, the top selling of, of which are Xeralto, uh, which is a J&J drug uh, teamed up with Bayer, and Eliquis, which is a Pfizer drug teamed up with Bristol-Myers, then that antidote could also become an important top selling drug. Right. And Portola is developing exactly that. And they are very, very close to the finish line at this point. They have already filed for approval once, and the approval unfortunately did not come. They received a complete uh, response letter, a CRL, which is not a good sign. Um, but Ooh, when, you, yes. yeah, when you look into the details of their CRL, it was due to manufacturing issues and a request for an, another piece of data specifically about how this drug works to reverse the effects of some of the lesser known, um, less commonly used factor 10A inhibitors. And so this wasn't the FDA saying your drug doesn't work. This was the FDA saying we need you to tweak a couple of things in the manufacturing process and provide us with a little bit more data and then we'll reconsider. And so now yeah, as a refresher, this is a drug that that its competitors theoretically really want to see get get approved. I mean, Pfizer, Bristol Myers, Johnson Johnson, they all helped uh, provide financing for Indexa's trials. They really want to see this drug get across the finish line. Now yeah, I, I remember I wrote a, an article a long time ago. The it was something like the little biotech that's getting free lunch from big pharma, and that's just because they're getting Portola is getting so much money just handed to them from these big pharma's that aren't even demanding that much back from Portola because these companies just want to see an antidote on the market to then boost their own drugs. Absolutely, you know, the more you can, the more of that warfarin market share you can chip away at, uh, the better is the way that they're looking at it. And Indexa, as it stands right now, um, is going to be refiled, according to management, refiled for approval in August. Okay, it was previously, I think they were targeting July. Now they're looking at August. Who knows how many months it'll be before the FDA, you know, makes a ruling on it. Let's assume that it gets approved uh, late this year, early next year. That's, that's big news because, you know, Portola Estimates is about 90,000 people plus uh, could benefit from the use of this antidote per year. And depending on pricing, you know, that could add a few hundred million dollars in revenue um, to the top line. So now you've got a billion dollar potentially drug in uh, Bevexa and you've got uh, another few hundred million potentially coming in from Indexa. 
And so I think the big question here, and this is kind of the root of most of the listener questions that we've gotten between the the Twitter and the Facebook group and writing into industry folks at fool.com. You guys want to know what we're doing now. Are we taking some profits off the table? I mean, Todd and I are both shareholders. And personally, I'm, I'm not. I, I want to wait it out. This is a very exciting time to be a shareholder in this company. But of course, it still comes with risks, even though they've now crossed the, the line into becoming a commercial stage company. You still could see the stock suffer pretty dramatically if, say, Indexa doesn't get approved. What do you think, Todd? Right, what, Christine, what I mean, this thing had, what, a 45% pop on the day of the approval? I mean, uh, some and, back and, and fill it, is to be expected, it's right? It's still we're, a $3 billion company. That's pretty small. Yeah, we're not, you know, it's not like Christine and I are expecting another 40% pop next month. You know, um, I'm going to stick with the stock. I'm, I'm riding it out. I, I think that, you know, you could... Assuming that you've got a billion three in revenue a couple few years out, I, I wouldn't be shocked by a five to six billion uh, market cap on this company. And in a takeout situation, which again, who knows, right? You never buy a stock because it could, you know, become a target of another company. But maybe that increases the valuation to seven to eight billion. Time will tell. Support for industry focus comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Chances are you're confident when it comes to your work, your hobbies, and your life. Rocket Mortgage gives you that same level of confidence when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. With Rocket Mortgage, you can apply simply and understand fully so you can mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. All right, Todd, let's pivot to another very important news item that probably hit slightly bigger headlines than just the the quirky biotech news outlets that you and I tend to read most of. And this has to do with the health care bill and uh, what the Republican senators have proposed as the, their potential replacement of Obamacare. Right. You have Republicans wrote into Washington uh, in November on a platform that includes the repeal and the replacement of the Affordable Care Act, which is more commonly known as Obamacare. And uh, the House passed a bill that would do that last month and advance that bill to the Senate. The Senate, in hopes of winning over some of the moderates and the centrists of their party, um, took that bill, did some work to it, lifted up the hood, fixed a couple things, and then rolled it back out, uh, hopefully, in their view, to get a vote uh, on that bill this week. However, that bill vote has now been pushed back until after the July 4th um, recess because the CBO has come out and issued some scoring that raises some questions that they want to go back and take a look at. Right. So the CBO, that's the Congressional Budget Office. This is a nonpartisan group that is supposed to crunch the numbers on proposed legislation. And they weighed in on Monday on this new bill. And what did they find? They found that uh, less people will have insurance in 2018 and through 2026 than ha- will have it under current law. The, there will be 22 million people, uh, fewer people, 22 million fewer people insured in 2026 than under current law, uh, and that 15 million people could drop off of insurance as soon as next year. Right. And a large part of that is because of a shift in Medicaid funding. 
um, which will become a block grant type of funding. And what they're predicting is that an estimated 15 million fewer people will be covered by Medicaid in 2026. So if you think of uh, the number that Todd threw out there, the 22 million fewer Americans having coverage in 2026, 15 million of those will be directly impacted by this change in how Medicaid is granted. Right. Initially, the people who are going to become uninsured, there are going to be some who do it voluntarily and some people who do it involuntarily, right? We, as you probably know, listeners, um, there are mandates that require you to have health insurance or pay a penalty uh, when you file your tax return. This bill, the BCRA, uh, will roll back those penalties, remove them. Right. And this was one of the most hated parts of Obamacare, according to the Republicans. So, yes. So so what's going to happen then is you're going to have a lot of people who will say, okay, I'm 20 years old, I'm completely healthy, and I don't need insurance. And they, they'll stop paying, so they'll cancel. Those will be the people who voluntarily walk away from their insurance. Then you'll have other people who will be forced to walk away because the subsidies that are going to be given to them under the new BCRA uh, are less than what they are currently receiving now. And that could result in, obviously, higher premiums and out-of-pockets for them that they just can't afford. So you've got a few different things working there. Initially, you've got the voluntary uh, people um, walking away, and you've got the people who are, are getting priced out of the individual market. And then over time, as the BCRA shifts Medicaid funding to block grant funding, uh, they expect that eligibility requirements for Medicaid will tighten, more people will get um, rolled off of Medicaid, if you will, and that's what's going to get us to that number. Right. And what's important to understand here is that the impact won't be exactly the same for everybody. If you start to look at different demographics, the impact varies considerably, even goes in opposite directions. For example, the biggest negative impact will happen for older, lower-income Americans. And the percentage of people that are without insurance um, will more than double for people that are between ages 50 and 64 and whose income is below 200 percent. Of the- yeah, that's that's a huge that's a huge point. I mean, we look at it, and the CBO included all sorts of data and fancy charts that show how this breaks out. Um, you definitely see uninsurance rate, or the uninsured rate, in, increasing across all age groups. Uh, the biggest hit, however, again, like you just said, 50 to 64 with um, incomes 200 percent or below uh, the the federal poverty level. To put that in Which- perspective, a family of four, 200 percent, that's about 49 grand a year in income. Exactly. But on the other hand, you also could see uh, for healthy singles, you could have premiums that are reduced by 30 percent in 2020. And so, well, that's, yeah, then that's the other part of the story. Right, Christine? Because, I mean, you know, in the media, you see the headlines, 22 million, 22 million, 22 million. You're not really seeing potentially 30 percent less expensive plan. Right. Exactly. Um, So the impact will vary greatly depending on who you are. Um, I I also will point out that this bill is projected to save the government quite a bit of money. Yeah. I mean, and again, this is because of the change to mostly to the due to the change in in the way that they're going to fund Medicaid. Right. Right. So they're going to shift to a block run grant per person uh, funding program, and then they're going to increase that over time. Uh, beginning in 2025 by just regular inflation rate, not the medical inflation rate. And if you mix all that together and stir it all up and, and crunch all the numbers, 
you come out with them spending roughly about 150 billion less in 2026 on Medicaid than they would under current law under Obamacare. And you add that plus subsidies and some other savings, and you get out with get about I think it was a 320 or so 321 billion dollar cumulative decrease over 10 years in the federal budget deficit. Correct, correct. So the BCRA, if it, you know, the, the, there's multiple goals here, right? If if the goal is okay, let's get rid of the taxes that were created under Obamacare, the penalties, the fees. Uh, let's try and reduce the, the the budget impact that Obamacare will have over the course of the next 10 years. It certainly is doing that. Um, it remains to be seen whether or not from a consumer's perspective or an American who consumes insurance products and healthcare services, whether or not this plan will be better, the worse, or same. I mean, you know, you've got people like the Kaiser Family Foundation coming out and saying, wow, premiums are going to go up pretty substantially for most people. Then you've got the CBO saying that, yeah, premiums could drop up to 30%, but that's because people will be forced to buy high deductible plans that cover far less health and health care. So you've got a lot of different competing variables as as the joke is, it's, you know, healthcare is complex. Who knew, right? Yeah, I mean, this bill alone is hundreds and hundreds of pages. But so another thing that remains to be seen is whether or not this will even pass. The way that the numbers are running right now with the the Republicans and the Democrats and the, the different people that need to vote on this, if there are, I believe, more than two Republicans that vote no, the bill is not going to pass. And I've I've heard more than four Republican senators say, or sorry, more than two Republican senators saying that they're not going to vote for it. They're, they don't support this bill. So it, it remains yeah, the, the real question will be over the recess period. That's why they wanted this vote this week. They didn't want to have to send all these senators back to their home states over the July 4th weekend and have them at cookouts and 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 <laughs> getting barraged by people who who are are potentially going to be impacted by impacted negatively by uh, the change to the BCRA. You've got, you know, organizations out there like the nonpartisan AARP who are lobbying very fiercely against this bill because of some of the components that they believe are gonna increase the cost for the 50 to 64 year olds. Uh, so you gotta take that into consideration. And then you've got governors in some states who have accepted Medicaid expansion under Obamacare and don't obviously wanna lose federal funding to pay for those um, voters in their states that would lose care under a block grant program. So you've got senators that are gonna go back and have to talk to their governors um, and then come back and, and, you know, reconvene, if you will, after the recess and try and hammer out something that maybe is, is less onerous to older, uh, lower income Americans and maybe does more to keep uh, people on Medicaid than what we're seeing right now. One more asterisk that I want to add to this is that we have to keep in mind how wrong Obamacare projections were in the first place. When you look back to 2012, the CBO projected that Obamacare would result in 23 to 25 million more Americans gaining insurance through the state exchanges. And the actual totals were more like 12.7 million. And there are so many different things that go into those numbers. But I think the important thing for listeners to think about is that these projections about the new health care bill are uh, are stated as comparisons to the current state of things, which would be the ACA. 
And so they rely on future projections of the ACA's impact being right in the first place, and then also the new layer of predicting the future again being accurate. And so I, I definitely would say to take any sort of hard number projections with a grain of salt. And the important thing to think about is just like directionally, do these causes and effects make sense? And, and what might some of the externalities end up being? And you nailed it. I mean, these are guesstimates, right? They're best guesstimates. They're educated guesstimates, but they're still guesstimates. I think what they're useful, though, is in figuring out, as you said, the directionality. So you can look at it and say, okay, if I draw some general conclusions to the direction of what could happen, where does that leave me? And, and what would I like to see done differently? This will have impacts on individual stocks throughout healthcare. And that's why the reasons, obviously, that's important for all of our listeners to be paying uh, close attention to what goes on in Washington. So as we wrap up here, Todd, are there any portfolio moves that our, our listeners need to be making based on this news? No, it's too soon. I'm a little concerned about the, the, the number of people who would drop off, obviously, because that shrinks the addressable market for a lot of these companies. Um, elective uh, things that are tied to elective surgery or towards drugs that maybe aren't required for a life-threatening condition. Maybe those things take a little bit of a hit if more people fall off of insurance. But until we get the final details of what this bill uh, is, is going to be, if, it, if it's to be signed into law, I think that you just basically stand pat and, and just make sure that the stories, the reasons that you own your stocks, you understand them and, and you still like them. Awesome. Sounds good. So uh, we are headed into a long weekend. Do you have any fun plans for the holiday? Barbecue as much as I can. How about you? Yeah, pretty much the same. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy it. And listeners, thanks for tuning in today. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on!